Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Hello, and welcome to episode 87, where we are talking to Kathy about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right, Kathy. So thank you so much for being on. Who are you? Thank you for having me. Um, so, oh my God, I'm going to have an ex- existential crisis just for your first question. <laughs> <laughs> so I am Kathy um, for now, because I'm thinking of changing my name, but I am Kathy. Um, I'm a 35 year old woman who lives somewhere near London in the UK. I will because I'm talking to two people who I'm guessing are North American, I will end up adopting your accents by the end of the show. And we're just going to have to not talk about it because it's really embarrassing the way I do that. (laughs) But I promise you and your listeners that I am British. And I am a white woman. I have dwarfism. Uh, Well, I have achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism. So like the kind of celebrities and stars that you may have seen on screen and stuff mostly have my condition and I live at home with my two uh, adorable but insufferable children (laughs) and yeah that's me (laughs) adorable but insufferable I really enjoy that Um, how do you identify I'm a woman and I use she her pronouns I'm a queer woman uh, which is something that's I have been for a long time, but I only realized this year. Um, And yeah, that's me. So what does polyamory mean to you? Polyamory means the idea of having like an infinite amount of love that you can hold. And that can be shared among, among one person or multiple people. And it can also take shape in lots of different ways as well. And that's kind of how I think about it. What drew you to polyamory? Um, so early this year, I started dating somebody, um, and on the second date, it was going really well. And on the second date, um, he said, just to let you know, I'm poly. And I didn't even know what poly meant. And so I went home and I Googled like, what is poly? Literally typed in what is poly? And then it came up with polyamorous. And then I was like, oh, is that when you like date lots of people at the same time? And I had all, obviously these kind of like, uh, narrow-minded views of what polyamory was because that's all we kind of know in a monogamous culture. And then, you know, I kind of ruminated on it and I did a lot of reading around it and I ordered a couple of books and, you know, I properly like nerded out for a couple of weeks and I talked to a couple of friends who were polyamorous. And and what was really striking to me was um, within my relationship with that person, I... I was experiencing a level of kind of honesty and um, communication that felt really, really great and healthy and that I hadn't experienced for quite a long time. 
And it really, really um, was attractive to me. So I wanted to continue my relationship with him. And, and so I did. And originally, like in the beginning, I continued it and I was monogamous. Um, but um, they didn't have much time to available and neither did I. We had other commitments and I didn't see them that much. And I was like, but why am I limiting myself? Because actually, like, he's not limiting himself. And it's totally cool if I date other people as well. So let's try it. And then I tried it and then I haven't looked back since. What, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? I think I think I don't find this difficult about polyamory. I find sometimes other people's misconceptions about polyamory difficult. I think about polyamory itself. Sometimes I can, still being quite new to it, I can, I can actually be a bit exhausted by the social interactions and by the, the level of, um, of contact and care that you have to obviously keep up with various different people. And because I'm not really, I'm still not used to doing that so much. I haven't got used to the signs always of me being burnt out. So I would say that as well sometimes. You talked a little bit about um, sort of being relatively new to Polly, but what now that you are sort of out in Polly, do you look back and say, oh, there were signs, you know, when I was younger? For sure, like 100%. So um, I'd only been in two long-term monogamous relationships and in both of them, I had been unfaithful. I hadn't, hadn't, and I'd also, beyond that, that unfaithfulness, uh, I was never really, I felt, I felt kind of, I don't know, trapped almost, not, not by that person, but, um, but like, I don't know, like, I just felt, I felt like confined, that I was confined and, um, but I wanted to not feel that way, but I didn't know that this was an option for not feeling that way. But yeah. <laughs> so along those lines, we, you know, we asked like, when did you know you were poly? And then also when did you, if ever, feel different from other folks? I think I've always felt different for sure. I've always felt different. Um, I, um, so I was married previously um, and um, I, you know, I, I kind of figured like, let me get married and let me have some kids and let me do what society wants of me like super quick and everyone's going to be like, wow, she did it. And she did it even though she's disabled as well. That's amazing. You know, and, and I'm going to be like, woo. And you know, it's all going to be great and happy ever after. But I never questioned if that's actually what I want. I would just, I just did it because I thought that's, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do to prove my work, to prove myself that I can do it. Um, and, um, so I definitely always felt different because there was always a part of me that didn't want that. I just quieted that, that voice, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then, or not necessarily that didn't want that. I'm not saying I didn't want my marriage, but that didn't want it in that particular way. So, but I didn't know I was poly until this year when I came early, early this year, when I came to learn about what that was and what that meant and, and started practicing the poly lifestyle and felt very at home in it. That's when I felt confident using that label, I suppose. Where would you say that you are in your poly journey? Mm, uh, amateur level. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. 
definitely not a captain or a leader yet. <laughs> but yeah, definitely amateur, definitely learning a lot. Um, but, and this might be my naivety talking, I feel like we're always learning about different relationships and different things and stuff. It's just, yeah. But, um, but yeah, definitely near the beginning. And where do you hope to go on your poly journey or do you have any goals? I don't really have any goals currently in the sense that, um, so I'm a single parent and I have two young kids um, and I also have quite a busy job. So my time is really constrained anyway. And um, I'm practicing a solo poly lifestyle because that is what works for me. I can't imagine enjoying having another adult living in my home um, or, um, or anything like that currently in the future. Yeah, maybe, who knows, but I kind of want to keep that, keep that as a possibility and not as a, an aim because I really enjoy how things are now and who knows what will happen in the future. Totally relate to that. That's, um, I've been divorced now for about seven years, but my, I, my children are now getting to be a little bit older, but definitely like I don't see myself moving in with another adult and, you know, having another co-parent like my my kids have plenty of parents. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need more parents. Yeah. Having said that, yeah, I am moving in to the downstairs flat in a duplex that my one of my partners lives in. So we are moving sort of a step in that direction of increased <laughs> domesticity, but it's still like everybody has their own space and, you know, she's not going to be the mother, you know, another mother. Yeah. I think that's how I would want it as well. I love my own space. Like I can't, I feel like they just get under my feet and I'd be like, go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, we'll see. But that, that sounds really cool that you're like, you have your own space, but you're still super close to each other. I am really excited about it. Yeah, that's really cool. So you both have kids? No. <laughs> she has another partner who actually lives across the street who also has a child. I need to get partners that like live across the street and in my building. I'm missing a trick. I know, so right? It's away. amazing. She is totally building the dream poly commune. <laughs> Just in little houses nearby one another. I love that. (laughs) Amazing. It's the modern. I can't believe there are just so many polyamorous people in such close proximity. Well, part of it, it, I mean, she's really doing it intentionally. And part of it is very much, um, you know, the luck of as it happens back in the 80s, I think her father bought the house she lives in now and also another house across the street. Um, and that was kind of how they, you know, kept food on the table for a chunk of her childhood. And uh, now they are reaping the benefits of having these two duplexes and being able to fill them with, you know, chosen family. Amazing. That's yeah. really cool. It's a really good idea. Maybe I'm going to change my 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 dream. Maybe that's going to be my dream. <laughs> <laughs> my dream future. <laughs> So why would you say that you are poly? Because I have, I don't know, because I kind of guess I, I kind of answered this in a roundabout way and to another question, but because I, I love being in 
relation. I love people. I love being in relationships with people, and that's not necessarily even romantic. But I love exploring what people are like um, and how we can connect on on a on a level of just myself and that person. And I love that being limitless. I love the possibility. And so while I think I probably could be in a monogamous relationship again and be very happy, or I could be, you know, identifying as polyamorous, but just in a relationship with one person and be very happy. Um, I don't want to feel constrained again as I did before. Mm -hmm. Why did you agree to be interviewed today? Because this is all really exciting and I want to talk about it and I want to speak to more poly people and your podcast is awesome. And so I was like, yeah, (laughs) it's just a, it's cool. And you reached out to us actually. So I didn't. Yeah. I was like, hey, but (laughs) yeah, thank you. Actually, we've been getting a lot of people who've reached out to me, which is lovely. I love when that happens. That's amazing. (laughs) That's really cool. How do you guys know each other? If I can ask. We met through the group, right? Yes, yeah, like, the so local, oh, our local polyamory group. Um, yeah, in fact, when Lindsay first announced the idea of um, the podcast, um, she asked the local group if you know people would reach out if they wanted to be interviewed, and I reached out and said, you know, I've really been thinking about podcasting too, and it sounds really fun. Do you want a co-host? And yeah, and at, that, at that point, I had recorded just one, like I said, like on my phone, kind of mm-hmm. interviewing myself, going through the questions I would want to to ask a guest. And I, I listened back and I was like, OK, this is fine. It's you know, it's just literally me asking myself questions and then answering them, which is awkward. It's a hell awkward. But, you know, like and I <laughs> and then I listened back and I was like, wow, this is yeah. This is not it. This is kind of boring. I mean, granted, I wouldn't be asking myself questions this whole time, but I was like, oh, it's so, and it was really short. And our, even our first episode was really like, like half an hour long at most. And I was like, wow, we, I don't know. I just, I feel like I need another person here. And then uh, when Katie reached out, I was like, oh, thank God. Cause honestly, this wouldn't have worked if it was one person. I would, I would probably just, I feel so boring. You know, like I would just feel like, oh, this isn't working. And in, in the beginning, I even thought, not I didn't even have the expectation of having guests on. I just thought I will talk about a topic for half an hour, which I was like, I'm so glad I didn't try to do that because that would be boring as hell. So I was just like, okay, I'm so glad that we get to just talk to people. And that and it just kind of like generated its own thing. We're bringing guests on. They get to talk about what they want to talk about. And mm-hmm. we're here to bounce ideas off and listen and interact and have fun conversations. And it's just... It's been kind of loosey-goosey, but really worked out. It's been working out. Yeah. <laughs> What's really fun, cool. I think, is we have a lot of really interactive conversations and, you know, different people react differently to each of us. So we react differently to the guests. And so having that liveliness, I think, has been a really fun and more entertaining part of this. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Interested in more Polyamory Uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, 
polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews, and guest posts from authors like you. If you'd like to be a guest author, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website. Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com and we're going to have some fun new poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, we are back and we are talking to Kathy today about disability and how it relates to polyamory. So would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about you personally and like how disability has affected your life? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I have achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism. And I was the first person born into my family with dwarfism. So my family had no uh, prior experience of it, but obviously they had heard of it and seen it on TV a little bit and stuff like that. Um, But even when I was born like 35 years ago, there was still, um, whilst it was easy for me to have a diagnosis, there was still quite a lot unknown about certain medical things in my future. And um, so I was raised by two parents who were average height and they kind of really like, uh, I was raised in a house with a lot of love um, they were great parents and they also modeled a really, really healthy um, relationship uh, between themselves, which was awesome. I would say that having, being the first person with my disability in my family and also I was the only child in my house, I had siblings, but they lived elsewhere, meant that I was sometimes wrapped in cotton wool a bit because my, my parents wanted to protect me and they had the time because I didn't have any siblings in the house and, you know, all of that. Um, and so I kind of, I grew up um, quite sensitive. I've always been very sensitive. And when I was a kid that, that was shown in like really awful, like not awful, that's a bad word. I was a child, but really, really strong shyness. Um, I was so, so, so shy. And then when I grew older, I kind of toughened up like a lot um, in my teenage years. And um, my sensitivity was kind of like barriered off. Um, and I would like would do anything to protect it. And, uh, and I've, I've softened up a bit since then, but it's a gradual process. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of, um, that's kind of me. But, um, but yeah, and I have a couple of friends who have dwarfism as well. Like when I was young, I used to go to, my parents used to take me to events where there were other people with conditions like mine or the same as mine at these events. Um, and and that was nice to feel kind of like in community with other people. And a couple of those people I've, I've maintained contact with uh, through to now. But yeah, so when I was kind of growing up, I didn't, I think uh, I referenced earlier how I, I did the whole like, um, the monogamous success ladder of like getting married and having kids and having a ha- buying a house and all of that um, as early as I could because I desperately wanted to prove myself. And I think part of wanting to prove myself for me was rooted in firstly, me not believing that somebody like me could do that. Mm. And secondly, other people not believing that somebody like me could do that and not seeing it represented either. And so I definitely felt like, okay, right, well, this is my window. This is my one and only chance to be happy because that's what I thought happiness was. And I went for it. Um, So 
yeah so you because you don't see people like me like I mean first of all you don't see us in monogamous relationships but you don't see us being poly or being queer or being um anything other than existing as our kind of sad silly selves you know that's how you see us in the media and stuff so yeah I think uh you know part of me was just like well I've got to change that narrative for myself so off I go let me go and do that and it's only when I kind of started to I started therapy and I started doing a lot of healing in myself post the breakdown of my marriage that I started to discover these things about myself that um that made me realize why even going down that route was something that just never made me happy and I think have you seen the film Encanto? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. We've so, watched it like three times now. <laughs> yeah, we I've watched it like 20 times. And yeah. basically, like I relate it to every part of my life <laughs> that I can. But the character Louisa, like she's all strong, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone has this expectation of her to be super, super strong. Um, but what I find really interesting is that she doesn't really challenge that. So actually, what we don't know oh. is whether or not those people would be okay if she just said no right because we don't know that we don't know if she, if she set down a boundary they could actually be fine with it right and that's kind of like I relate to that a lot because I just I just assume that's what everyone wants and they're going to be disappointed if they don't get it so and then like it's really funny because like I had a conversation recently with my mom and we we're just sitting on the sofa and I was like hey mom I like people who aren't men as well and she was like oh okay cool and I was like, and and I date like usually more than one person at a time. And then she was like, nice. And that was literally the entire conversation. And I was like, wow, I've built this up for like so long in my head. Wow. <laughs> um, and now she's like sending me like links to um LGBTQ plus um like social groups and stuff in my area. So like she's cool, she's fine. <laughs> That's but- awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, but it's funny. Like we do some, sometimes we, sometimes obviously we have good reason to build things up, but sometimes it's just, I think for me, it's me not, not having been assertive enough in the past to, to vocalize those boundaries. Anyway, I went off in a tangent there. That's what we do here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When I came out to my little sister, she was very similarly like, okay, I I really don't care. (laughs) I was like, fair enough. Cool. I actually told one of my kids today as well, and she was like, Oh, what are you telling me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I thought you'd like to know. Like, ew, mom, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, a, a sweet spot of age, right? Where, like, at a certain point, like, my kid is four, she's probably not going to really understand or. Yeah, like she's just not going to really understand that scope of relationships yet. And we're just very open with her about everything because, again, she's, mm-hmm. she doesn't question it. And then there's an age bracket, I think, where they're like, I really don't care. Like, teen, you know, kid, kid right. teenagers or like, I don't want to hear about it. Don't want to know. And then maybe yeah. when they're older, they're well, I don't know. Honestly, who knows? Like, maybe they're also like, Neither. no, I don't want to know. Because my mom actually came out to me and at one point her husband and now husband was in jail and uh they have an open relationship when he's in jail and i was like 
cool. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I was like, you don't have to talk about it. I was like, I know what that is. And I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I hope you're happy. Yeah, I want yeah. happiness for you. Yeah. And that is all that I need to Glad know. You guys have an arrangement. <laughs> I don't want to know anymore. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I came out to, I mean, I'm, my I was married to a woman when my children were born, so there was never mm-hmm. a point of coming out to them as queer. It was really more sure. about them experiencing like, hey, wait a minute. There are other people react to our family and what's going on with that. Right. right. Um, but since my divorce, uh, you know, when when I came out as Polly, um, I did feel like I needed to tell my kids pretty early on because the first person that I started dating um, was a had become a friend of the family before the before the romantic relationship started, and his wife knew my kids in a, her work context, and I was concerned that the kids might sort of pick up on something. My daughter is super, super observant. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't want her to ever have the impression that there was a secret that, you know, the spouse didn't know or that anybody was doing anything unethical. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I sort of much earlier than I might otherwise had the conversation with the kids of, Hey, so I am dating this person and everybody knows and it's totally okay with everybody. And mm-hmm. this is what it's called. And the kids are like, okay, do we have to keep talking about this? <laughs> yeah. That's basically my kid. Every time I try and talk about anything deep, she's just like, stop it. Like literally stop it. <laughs> oh, and yesterday she said to me, um, so my kids have daughters and two. And we were in bed having a heart to heart, which is very rare with her. She's like, um, she's like a teenager, but she's seven. And she said to me, oh, I really wish I didn't have dwarfism. This happens, this happens sometimes. And I was like, okay, why? And she said, I just want to be able to use the monkey bars at school. Oh. <laughs> and I was expecting so this simple. big, deep yeah. answer. And <laughs> right, I was right, like, right. Okay, cool. You're that's, seven. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry you can't use the monkey bars. Yeah. I'm also jealous that's your biggest problem. But like, <laughs> right, right. right. But hey, you're seven. You know, that is your biggest problem. Yeah. That's your biggest problem. <laughs> your seven. biggest problem, exactly. Mm-hmm. Even at four, sometimes she'll say things that are so like deep and, and like meaningful. And, and then she says, you know, like something about, you know, Spider Man. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're four. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to forget sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm with two little adults, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. How old are your kids? Seven and almost four. Ah, yeah. 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 So definitely still in the very high intensity parenting (laughs) age range. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Um, It's a little bit less intense. (laughs) Eventually, right? Oh, wait. (laughs) Really yeah. can't wait. Yeah. Last night it was like we were because on Saturday nights they sleep in my bed. And um I, I think we have to stop this now because last night they spent two hours arguing over which way my face should be turned. I was in the middle. And so should I be turning facing one kid or should I be turning facing the other kid? Oh and, my god. Uh, <laughs> we don't care so if you're painful. comfortable or not, mom. We just want yeah. to have your full attention. You don't get yeah. the autonomy. I ended to up choose. on my back like this. Couldn't look at either either of them. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, it was yeah. horrible. Yeah. I have this picture of like these being loving moments, like, oh, cuddle up in bed together. You know, it's so <laughs> lovely. <laughs> but it's an hour of arguing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my mine are now 13 and almost 16. And um, I have to admit, I miss some of those sort of more snuggly times. They're mm. much less snuggly than they used to be. Mm. But but it's still sweet, at least occasionally. But less stressful. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I honestly stressful. don't know. Yeah. So different differently stress. stressful. Yeah, less stressful different. on a physical level. Yeah. <laughs> or on an emotional level which is way worse yeah. it's about the same on an emotional level but less stressful oh okay good <laughs> so one question that i wanted to to ask you about is like dating and something that we had discussed in a previous episode with this guy sammy about racism and and dating other poly folks are within the polyamorous community uh, was about like prejudice bigotry and like fetishization with um mm-hmm. him uh, with his race and i was wondering if you have encountered a lot of that like prejudice discrimination and then obviously i imagine fetishism is is a thing too like have you had to go through anything like that yeah i mean a bit um I'm going to I'm going to start it off by saying that when I was dating monogamously, all of those things were a lot worse. Oh, really? Like a lot worse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because cis straight guys generally are very courageous in uh, their fetishizing techniques. Let's put it that way. Sure. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. And, and also. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when I started um dating as a queer woman um and at the moment i don't currently date cis straight guys so i i date like bi men or basically anyone else um and um i i kept connecting with people who firstly i connect quite often with people who are also disabled but maybe in a different way um typically they're neurodiverse um or they could be physically disabled as well um, and that kind of um, is, I don't know, it's nice because it means that there's a shared understanding of, of where we don't go in this connection. And um, But I have definitely had a bit of fetishization, I hate that word, I hate it, fetishization, uh, in, in the poly realm um, because I think there is sometimes a tendency to be like, wow, everyone who's poly is like super unique and cool and edgy in their own way. And her thing, her edgy thing is that she has dwarfism, right? And so like that can kind of be seen as like my personality trait, like my, the thing that that makes me stand out. And so, but I think from like many years of dating cis straight men, I'm very, very good at being able to weed it out. Mm-hmm. very good at being able to read it out <laughs> um and it's quite clear to me when people I don't I mean no shade to anybody that does but I don't I don't do one night stands and things like that um and that removes a lot of that instantly but it is quite clear to me when people just kind of want to connect because I'm a personality they haven't explored sure yeah um so we've sort of covered a little bit I think of the bold out front 
ways that some segments of the population can just directly own their fetishizing tendencies. Are there also people who seem more out of ignorance being stupid or rude or, you know, whatever? Yeah. Infantile, infantilizing, infantilizing. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I haven't really experienced it that much. Um, I did get that the other day. Um, I connected with uh, this guy who a few weeks ago who also has blue hair, and <laughs> we were getting on, you know, just chatting in in whatever app we were using, back and forth. It was it was all really nice, and then suddenly he goes. Um, Hey, so do you know any guys who um, who have your condition? Because I really want to role play a fantasy. Ooh. And Uh-oh. yeah. And I was like, dude, this is really not cool. It's not cool to ask me, but it's also not cool to ask. It's anyone. difficult because I don't want to speak for everybody who has dwarfism. Like maybe some people with dwarfism are comfortable being in that scenario. I personally am not. Mm-hmm. Because right. again, that is seeing the person purely for their condition which mm-hmm. yeah society does with us anyway and it doesn't feel nice so it would never feel nice for me but yeah but that's like the most outrageous example and I would say I would caveat all of this by saying that the fact that I'm a middle-class white woman really plays speaks to my privilege in this area because I think that quite a few people they know they they know what kind of shit won't fly with me Mm-hmm. And they don't do it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so yeah, I I think I've been lucky in that respect. Probably, I don't know. <laughs> that's fair. So one of the other things you had mentioned is kind of like the intersectionality between um, being queer and having like a visible disability and also polyamorous. How do you think that your experience is maybe different from other folk in the, that in those um, respects? Yeah, sure. So I think what I thought when I realized that I was queer is I was like, oh, this is great because most of the people I connect with on a romantic level are also queer. And this puts me more in community with them, which is amazing. And what I kind of quickly learned is that queer spaces can be ableist too, right? Mm -hmm. And disabled spaces can be queer phobic. And so, you know, finding spaces that are safe for both parts of my identity can be a challenge sometimes not impossible but a challenge so that's kind of the biggest thing that I've that I've learned over this past uh, year or so I don't see that many people um on dating apps generally or in in dating spaces that have physical disabilities I don't see as many of them uh but I do see a lot of of people with invisible disabilities i'm gonna i'm just gonna address briefly the visible invisible thing because um i don't really like these terms because firstly they're a bit ableist themselves because they rely on sight but secondly (laughs) uh, (laughs) secondly because um you might be able to identify that i have dwarfism but do you beyond that what is your understanding of what my needs are or what my boundaries might be or what my health condition is or, you know, right. That's all invisible. Right. right? It's just that all you, or you can see 
you can identify that I have dwarfism because you've identified people with dwarfism before and we have similar physical characteristics. Um, but I would argue that much of my disability is also invisible for those reasons. And I think that sometimes when dating as well, people will be like, oh, yeah, I know what dwarfism is. And they'll find a kind of comfort in that. And they'll be like, yeah, I can handle this because I know what that is because I've seen it. Mm. Um, and it's probably I wouldn't like to speak for other people, but it's probably similar for people who use a wheelchair. Um, you know, people will be like, yeah, I know what that is. I know what the main struggles are. I can handle that. But actually, we all experience our disability so differently and and we all express it differently and we all have different challenges um, to do with that that can only be learned through communicating about them. So, yeah, so I, I you know, I've experienced that quite a bit in the poly community because because poly folk tend to be more woke <laughs> uh, in inverted commas. <laughs> People will be like, oh yeah yeah like this is totally cool like you're like this like you know cool we're all diverse here we're all different we all stand out from the crowd blah 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 and they think they get it like they think they get it but um or they'll even say like hey like I had a great aunt who was like you or um or I've had a I have had a couple of poly folk who have also dated people with dwarfism in the past I, d- I didn't connect with them beyond that initial connection because for me we are rare enough for that to be a fetish. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just a personal boundary. So, yeah. So people are very quick to be like, yeah, I, I totally get, I get you. I get your existence. Like I can, I can support you in the way that I think you need. Um, so, yeah, I'm just quick to be like, yeah, actually, no. <laughs> let's see. No. Let's see. Let's Do you see. Have, yeah. Um, so let's you see. talked about there it being, sometimes difficult to find spaces that are safe for your queer identity and your identity as a person with a disability. Right. Um, Would you have any advice for poly communities or people putting on events within the poly community to try to create a space that is going to be more safe and inclusive? I would say that, so when events are run by this by anybody that isn't disabled, obviously there are a lot of accessibility issues that people don't consider. Um, far beyond like having a ramp or whatever, um, there are a lot. Um, and it's not beyond accessibility being an issue. It's not um, typically something that you can be in conversation about. So I actually recently attended an event where um, it was really refreshing because they wrote on the invitation. Like, here is a space to tell us or to, like, open up a dialogue with us about any needs that you have. And then you, you have a conversation with them. And that, that's great because, again, like, it all comes down to, again, assuming, like, okay, well, we might have one wheelchair user, so let us put a ramp and then we've covered off accessibility and we'll say it's accessible on the invitation, right? But, like, actually, let's, let's talk to your audience and see what they need and you know get a proper gauge for it um and i have been to events that have been very very inaccessible and i have a disability that um i have a lot of privilege in a lot of ways you know i i i i can move around the world much like a non-disabled person in many ways but i can also see when i'm in spaces that 
my disabled peers would just not even be able to access. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm often in queer spaces that, that are like that, basically. And then in terms of like the disability community, so I was thinking when I was saying this earlier, I was thinking back to the events for people with dwarfism that I used to go to and how straight they were and how it was all like wife, husband, two kids, you know, at the event and everyone was white as well, always at these events. Um, But they were just so straight. And it was like when I was growing up, going to these events as well, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to kiss a boy at the disco and who's going to, which girl is going to kiss which boy and vice versa and stuff, you know, and it was just, it was always like this. Um, So, yeah, like the disability community needs to do a lot more to, um, to be LGBTQ plus friendly. Yeah, a lot more. Yeah, it's funny. My, my next two points that I had in my notes were accessibility and advice. <laughs> so that's so funny. <laughs> we're same la- wavelength. And I, 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 well, pre-pandemic, I hosted a monthly social and I would always try to think of different ways that I can make it accessible because we have folks in wheelchairs. And then we also have hard of hearing and deaf folks in the group. To my knowledge, though, again, we're, we meet, uh, the group is like based a lot in Facebook. So to my knowledge, we don't have a lot of folks who are uh, sight impaired, but that might be, that might be because of the nature of the group not being very accessible to right. folks who can't right. use Facebook, right? Of course. But I do know that, uh, that there are people in the greater community uh, who, who use readers on Facebook um, because of sight impairedness. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is, it's interesting. I like the idea of asking, you know, people who are potentially going to attend an event, what we could do as like organizers mm-hmm because it's hard to know until you know, right? Like there were so right. many events that I would, you know, the bar, the upstairs of a bar is um, available. So let's grab it because this is a good space for having a big group of 30. And then someone being like, so do they have an elevator though? And I'm like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that how high space. are the bar stools? And, like, yeah. If I yeah. can't sit down, mm-hmm. like, yeah, totally. No, totally. I get you. And yeah, and it, it wasn't it until be... someone brought it up that I'm like, fuck, yeah, of course. And, and course. you know, we've also had folks ask if if I could make transcripts of the podcast or of the group meetings for folks who are hard of hearing, or could we have an interpreter? And because it's free, uh, because like the group is free and all that, I'm like, well, I, one, I could ask someone to volunteer their time and maybe that would be okay. Or, or I could, we could ask for donations, you know, like all these things that I have to like then think, okay, how could we do this? It could be, and it would be awesome. Like, I would love to have a, a sign language interpreter at every meeting, but they, but then also it, if that person who's hard of hearing isn't going to be there, <laughs> would I then be wasting someone's time? You know, it's all this thing. And now we're not meeting in person at all, of course. So, so luckily I have like a break to be able to figure it all out to your break now, Jesus. But, <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the, all of those things have definitely been on my mind of like, how can we do and be better with, with the group meetings and with socials? Yeah, I hard. think we have to, with anything, we have to accept the accessibility costs. Mm-hmm. And so mm. to assume that we can make accessibility measures for free, it's just, it's probably not going to happen. There are little things you can do, but like in general, accessibility will cost. And I think, so going back to the whole like opening a dialogue thing, 
it is tricky because a lot of many disabled people don't like talking about their needs or haven't mm. fully acknowledged them. But I still maintain that I think it's a good route to explore because we cannot, it's naive to assume that non-disabled people should just go away and learn about accessibility and, and it would be covered because there's so much disability in the world. Right. So, um, and there are so many variants of what accessibility means. And I was actually running an accessibility workshop a couple of days ago, and I was talking about how accessibility is not just about, um, not, not just for disabled people, it's actually for everybody. Mm-hmm. But we don't like to admit it. So like the person with a vulva that's got a really heavy period in an eight-hour meeting needs a toilet, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The person who has children needs to be able to get back for childcare. The person who gets migraines looking at a TV screen, you know, there's always things that we don't term disabilities or we don't um, think of as disabilities. Even someone wearing glasses is so normalized that we don't call it a disability, right? But we all have access needs, all of us. No right. matter. Um, it's and just- even if we don't have strong access needs, so much of the universal design principles that make things accessible are just helpful for people. Right. You know, right. having captions um, are so helpful. Yeah, I was yeah. giving you that example. My yeah. uh, partner and her other partner with a child and their child watched Encanto recently. And she was just like, I couldn't follow all of it because it's so fast. I really want to watch it with the captions on so that I know I'm not missing anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, captions yeah, right. are just a main, like are just a staple in our house. We have captions on everything. Especially I, a, love I think watching. I've got a serious hearing loss that I haven't investigated because yeah. I can't cope without <laughs> captions. Yeah, now. I can't. I'm just like what? Especially yeah. with accents. Like I love watching like British procedurals. I sometimes can't understand a fucking word they're saying. I'm like, they're speaking English. I should know. <laughs> but I remember watching. Theory, I speak this language. There's like a there's like a season three episode of Sherlock and they were drunk and they were talking so fast and I didn't have captions on because I was at a friend's house watching it. And I was like, I am basically not able to watch this episode. <laughs> I was like, I can't understand what they're saying. Um, but with like uh, accessibility when it comes to neurodivergent folks, we had a guest on talking about like neuro neurodivergent um, issues. And... I was just listening to that episode before. We oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was really good. I vaguely remember them talking about things that I totally would never have thought of, like how loud a bar is and how incredibly right. overwhelming that can be to some people or and the lighting lights, as well, you lighting. Know? Yeah. And I was like, I would yeah. never think about that until someone tells me. And so, yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Like the, the various different things that you could think about and try to accommodate. And of course you're never going to get it perfect. You know, like low light might be bad for somebody. High light might be bad for somebody. So it's like it's so hard to to try to accommodate everyone, but to at least try or or know to at least try to to open that out. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, your audience might be easy. You might just have one person who needs one thing and then it might be fine. Right. You never know. Yeah. What I really liked about your uh, comment earlier about the uh, invitation to the event that had the sort of please tell us about your needs is that not only are we then not trying to guess what might be helpful based on our perception of people, but it also really 
gives people the space like maybe today someone has the emotional energy to do that education piece. And so they put in a you know, request for whatever kinds of accommodations that they need or that someone in their polycule needs. Um, and, you know, another time, maybe they just don't and they don't have they don't want to deal with it. I'm not going to be the ambassador from disability this week. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's fine because it's an open dialogue. And so you can participate in it when you choose to. But there's no obligation. And you can be responsible in some respect for asking for what you need, but not pressured to, you know, know, and then it's on us also if we're hosting events to try to think about like, okay, what requests have we gotten in the past? We haven't necessarily gotten those requests now, but we probably ought to keep them in mind anyway. Just being like, okay, so we can provide low lighting uh, an elevator, whatever, you know, we can do XXX. Right. Is there anything else that you particularly need? So, you know, so that people know the measures that are in place and so that they also know that if they don't bring that dialogue, they won't get that thing. Mm-hmm. 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 So, you know, I think that might encourage people even more to be like, actually, yeah, is this possible? Right. And seeing That's that we're doing idea. other it's things. Of- sparking people's recognition that we are trying Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. engage in the community and we want to make this event a place where you feel welcome, but we don't have complete information because we are not you. Yeah. Right. I know it's becoming more common, but it was just, I was just kind of reminded of like at at my job, we have a, 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 a no scent policy. And I feel like that's not new by any means, but I feel like encouraging it for conferences and and workplaces and stuff like that like don't wear perfume because it literally will give some people migraines and they cannot That's work so with good you. you know like yeah so such a small thing that most people might not ever think about they're putting on mm-hmm. scented deodorant shampoo perfume and every other thing in the book and they're just like it doesn't bother me so why would it bother anyone else yeah. and it yeah. will like debilitate somebody else just fully yeah. cannot work with you and it's such a small thing, but it's it's easy enough to say, like, please don't put on perfume. We yeah. don't need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if we're all not doing it, you should be comfortable. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. But to go back to the very beginning of our t- conversation, please shower anyway. <laughs> <laughs> please shower anyway. Yeah. That's always welcome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> coming back to the topic a bit, if you, uh, I know you said you teach classes and you're like an advocate and stuff. Do you have anything you'd want to promote website, blog um, stuff for uh, listeners if they want to hear more about your, you? So I have an Instagram, which is Kathy Ray writes W-R-I-T-E-S. I should have thought about that before because people always spell the rights part wrong. <laughs> but, um <laughs> But yeah, as in I am a writer, so that's my Instagram handle. Um, and I talk a bit about um, disability justice and stuff on there. I'm not, I don't describe myself as an activist or an advocate. I describe myself just as a messy, flawed human who <laughs> okay. uh, sometimes talks about disability, who sometimes talks about sex, who sometimes talks about all manner of things, my cat and my kids. Um, 
so yeah and I I do a bit of work with um businesses a little bit of work with businesses on access um and I do like workshop stuff and panel stuff on disability sex relationships things like that but yeah that's me well we're looking for those kinds of uh resources uh that's on your Instagram yeah what do you write about so I actually have a like a main daytime job uh, working for um, an educational publisher. And so I commission educational materials, but my side hustle is journalism. And I write about sex, dating, queerness, relationships, disability, Fun. motherhood. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I wish I had more time to write. My, my boss just asked me to write a blog post and I was like, oh, <laughs> sure, I'll try. I kind of <laughs> love it and hate it. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have a blog too, the Polyamory Sensor blog, and uh, it's been a minute since I've sat down and written a blog post. But uh, I keep looking at it and being like, "That's a thing. I should do that. That'd be cool. Oh, I need to go read it." <laughs> what do you write about on there? Is it like a personal diary, or is it more? Oh, there are a couple personal. Based. It yeah, there are a couple personal blog posts. Like I've written a couple about like. I was a unicorn once in a relationship and how that crashed and burned. And I wrote about that. And, <laughs> and, uh, I was, um, I wrote about like people confusing boundaries and rules and how people mm-hmm. can sometimes really, uh, I mean, abuse, I guess, abuse the power of, of, of boundaries and saying that a boundary is a boundary or a rule is a boundary when it, you know, like I've written about that kind of stuff. Um, poly mm. mistakes, uh, common poly mistakes and stuff like that. But then also I just write about sometimes I haven't in like 10 episodes, but sometimes I'll write a blog post about the episode, like my show notes mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah, I haven't done that in a minute, but I intend to, I intend to catch up one day. I'll be like, this will be my polyamorous censored day and I'll be writing all my blog posts. But yeah, it's just been, um, yeah, during the pandemic, it's been hard to motivate myself to do anything like getting here is like, yeah, that's the that's the the baseline and anything above recording and editing the podcast is just like frosting on the cake right where i'm like yeah i'll do it if i want but i don't have to so i might not <laughs> yeah anything i don't have to do is exactly. super hard for me to do mm-hmm. something that i really struggle with um is like so since i came out as queer and i've started connecting with a lot of um people who aren't again cis men um, because I have what I deem to be a very small Instagram following. Um, nevertheless, I would say that 90% of people I connect with on dating apps know me from Instagram. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. And I've never had that with cis men, obviously, because why would they follow me? Right. <laughs> they don't care. But like, <laughs> but like, that's like a, a curveball. I just was not expecting at all. And I'm like, fuck, genuinely don't know how to deal with this. And I kind of flip flop between like being like, okay, it's it's over. I'm shutting this down and freaking out. And then being like, oh, actually, it's okay. Yeah, it's weird. I've had a a couple of random people on OkCupid know me from the podcast. And then one time, and this was again, this was in like 2019. It was quite a while ago. Are a waitress at our restaurant. I think, I don't know if she recognized my face because I I guess, I, I mean, I show my face on Instagram, but not a lot or my voice yeah. or my name. I'm not quite sure what she did, but she was like, Hey, I know you from 
online. And she just was very vague about it. I think because she didn't know I was like with my partner. Right. And she was like, and I was like, in <laughs> what capacity? Because I literally was like, there is so much that you could be referencing so right much. now. And she's Amazing. like, like, she kind of whispered like your podcast. And I was like, oh, really? And then I was like, how did you like, what? That's how did you so know who cool. I was? It's so cool. Yeah. That's I was like so cool. oh, my waitress at a, at a restaurant in Milwaukee. That's so interesting. And that I is think so funny and random because you know, I mean, it was so random. Yeah. Lindsay hasn't really talked about it hasn't come up in this episode, but Lindsay has some totally not poly related side hustles that she has a lot of community around, too. Like she's a fiber artist and our group of people who we know in common on Facebook includes a number of those people. I am not a fiber artist, but like the Venn diagram of mom and fiber artist <laughs> is very high. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there are people I know through like my kids' school who also know Lindsay, but not through any of her um, poly work or her work yeah. um, professionally in her at the store. And so it's sort of an interesting like, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's interesting when people are like, I have a mutual friend with you and they're either Polly or a knitter and I can't tell. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> you could ask me. I might know and they might totally. Be yeah, <laughs> there was, totally. there was, like, a, there was a time like one of my one of the moms that we know in common. I remember having had a little crush on her husband at one point and like, ooh, I wonder, <laughs> Lindsay. If she's friends with Lindsay, there's a good chance. But I think that one was just a knitter. I think she was just a knitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you, is there a lot of poly community where you live? There is. And I think actually that we have to give a lot of the credit to that for, to Lindsay, who has really been a huge community builder for the last 12 years yeah wow um you know in terms of like really in the before times um you know Mm -hmm. having these regular monthly um discussion groups and regular monthly socials and making sure they're in different parts of the um of the city or the community um and again also trying to look at making sure the spaces were accessible but also not always to the same people like it was really there was a predictable calendar and also a variety of spaces or topics or things like that. And it's really done an amazing job to create a community. Yeah. It's, and it's now pretty sizable. I mean, I think our Facebook group has like 500 people or six, five, 600 people, which is pretty good. Yeah. I would say on average, again, in the before times, we would have a social of 30 to 40 people. It got to the point where we were no longer able to meet uh, like indoors because we were too big, you know, and and during the pandemic uh, this past summer, we were able to right when it was like that low period where there were only a few cases around, you know, in our state, we were able to meet outside safely. And that was amazing. And then winter and, you know, Omicron came and now we don't, uh, we meet on zoom, <laughs> but uh, I hope to get back to a place where we can all meet safely outside again every summer. And we're, so we're in very North, North America in Wisconsin. It's very cold uh, for 
nine months of the year. <laughs> it feels like it's so cold here. Up until so, this point in the conversation, I was like, I'm moving there, but I can't handle the cold. So where are no, you? No, I'm not. I'm oh, not. Oh, I'm not. Oh, I mean, no. as in, I our, our community sounded so great. We were luring her yeah. in. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Exactly. That's fair. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. You'd only want to visit in the summer, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there, there are definitely places in America where it's not like this. We are in some one of the most northern parts of America, and it is rough for quite a few months of the year. Right. Like right now, I, I would say it was like it's so sunny out right now, but it is 20, it's 15 degrees, 15 degrees. Yeah. I just, oh, which yeah, I don't know. 15, that's Fahrenheit. Uh, Fahrenheit. So what is it? Um, oh, that's Fahrenheit. But yeah, it's it's cold as fuck, like most of the time here. So for fact, half of the year, we really can't. My partner and I were just talking this morning when we were walking from her car into urgent care, how we can handle the cold when it's just cold, but when it's also windy and then it's cold enough that it makes your face hurt, that's when it's terrible. Yeah, it's it's negative ten degrees Celsius. Negative right ten. Now. Oh, negative I was 10. Whoa. optimistic. Yeah. So is it like snowing or it's not nope. snowing? It's not sunny. Today. It's beautiful out, but wow. it's just really, really cold. Yeah. And we're it's it supposed to get out. It's actually mm-hmm. a little cold. Like it it doesn't usually snow when it gets this cold. It's yeah. usually a little bit warmer when it snows. Yeah, it's supposed to warm up at the end of the week and snow. Like it's gonna get to essentially yeah. zero degrees Celsius <laughs> and then it'll snow and it'll be yeah, really nice. <laughs> Yeah. Surely that affects your like mobility in your area, right? Oh, it yeah. does. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you definitely have to have good traction on your shoes oh, and yeah. good boots. Like and there are totally um days in which events have to be canceled because of snow. Uh there are mm-hmm. days in which it's so cold that the um buses don't run because mm-hmm. they'll freeze like it's i mean yeah. that, that's rare but it does happen or where the snowplow can't get out uh early enough for buses to run on time you know um so that's always something in the really deep winter when we have to think about um and icy roads like that's a big deal to consider my aunt um doesn't leave the house basically when it's this bitter out because mm-hmm. a couple of years ago she got gangrene. Um, she's had, oh. uh, well, she, so she's got um, diabetes that has affected her feet and she's lost a few toes to that already. And so she has footwear that's very complicated and strange looking and what have you. Um, but it's not, it's not just not available warm enough. Mm-hmm. And so she was outside for a little bit too long and ended up with absolutely severe problems that, you know, truly disabled her as opposed to the challenges that she had previously been living with um, mm-hmm. for probably half a year uh, while she was being treated for the gangrene that had set in by way of frostbite because of being outside wow. in the bitter cold. Wow. And something that's really important here in Milwaukee and and I think also in Chicago is being sure to shovel when it snows because people who are in a wheelchair cannot move. They they are yeah. totally immobilized when there's not clear sidewalks. And I know yeah. as you know, like someone who helps manage a business, we are very careful about having all of our walkways clear for people who need to use wheelchairs, having the um 
curbs clear of snow so that they can get up onto the sidewalk. And that's something that so many people in the city don't give a shit about. And it's really Mm. disheartening because like, it's hard to walk in Milwaukee on most Milwaukee sidewalks, much less ride, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's so bumpy as soon as it hits, you know, it'll snow and then it'll immediately freeze and turn into rock solid ice. And it's, And it's uneven because somebody has walked their dogs over it already, you know, like, so it gets really bad really fast. So we have to keep constant to like make sure we have things cleared and make sure they're um, again, just accessible. And it's something that you might not, again, if you're not from here, you're not going to think about the sidewalks, but it is, it's really hard for, but again, it's another accessibility measure that like literally helps everyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Because <laughs> no one like, wants that stuff, or, you know. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and when you think about parents, you know, with taking kids out right, for a walk. With little kids and, or yeah. with a dog. Strollers. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. All of those things are just as challenged by the snow being there. And it's really makes a difference to mm-hmm. the whole quality of life for the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not coming to live there. Yeah. Thanks for the offer. Yeah. Thanks for the offer. Maybe skip Wisconsin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy, thank you so much for reaching out and for uh, agreeing to join us today and uh, be interviewed and share your experiences. It was a really interesting conversation. And I think we got some cool ideas for ways that we can try to open up our community and make sure that we're addressing the needs of the people in our community. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. All, All right. right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember... We love you. Bye.